Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares, and by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm uh, Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. I appreciate you joining me this week. As you can see, I still don't have my workspace back, and it's going to require a bunch of work. I've got to big, uh, dig a big, long trench, and then i got to run a bunch of wire and PVC pipe and that sort of thing, and I'm going to go ahead and do some other upgrades to my work area while I'm at it, so it's going to probably be a few more weeks before I get my space back. Anyway, how you guys all doing? I hope you're all doing well. I'm finally completely over the COVID. It took me three weeks. Uh, that's that's unusual for me. I mean, I, I know you folks are used to hearing me sick. A couple years back, when I first started the Last Symptom podcast, uh, you, some of you might remember that I come down with, uh, uh, I can think of the word in Spanish, I can't think of it in English, pulmonia, uh, pneumonia. Even when I had the pneumonia, I weren't sick for three weeks. Three weeks is a long, long time. But anyway, I'm all back to normal. And I hope you all out there are doing fine and doing good and taking good care of yourselves. I appreciate you coming and joining me this week. I know I say that every week, but I mean it. Got some good things to talk about. And basically, it's the leftovers from last week that we never got to, which are uh, really some really interesting things in this discussion today. So I hope you stick around. Before we get started, let's go ahead and do the announcements. TheLastSymptom.com. That's my website full of free and P, uh, not P resources. Uh, paid resources and uh, it's actually the paid resources that allow me to provide the, the free resources if you think about it as well as the other regular regular services that I provide so uh, I would appreciate you going over there to thelastsymptom.com checking that out of course the most important paid resource that I offer over there would have to be the last symptom fundamentals course it's a two-week intensive pre-recorded course and uh, so it works with your schedule. It's, it's no different than if you signed up for some college course online and it was pre-recorded. It's kind of formatted that way. I present uh, things by means of a kind of a PowerPoint type presentation with images and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very thorough for people who are interested in understanding how emotional disorders form how did they get there in the first place uh, why do they behave the way they do and how can you eliminate them from the foundation so if you're interested in that check that out over at thelastsymptom.com of course we're all over at thelastsymptom.locals l-o-c-a-l-s dot com for our 
online community, and we'd love to have you join us over there. But links to all that stuff is over at thelastsymptom.com if you're if you're interested. Anything else? Well, recording these things now is a video. It looks like it's going to be a permanent part of my work. So, uh, if you'd be interested in seeing the video of me presenting these things rather than just listening to me, you can do that on YouTube and on Rumble. So just go to both of those, look up The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett, and subscribe to that channel, please, and turn on the notification bell. Hit like whenever there's an episode that uh, you're particularly fond of. And uh, as far as videos go, um, if you're just subscribed to me in an, on an audio platform, you're kind of missing out because uh, Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, most of the days of the week, I'm offering um, these little snippet videos, which are called uh, orange slices, and they just offer like a five-minute little jolt of uh, insight into some aspect of emotional health. And uh, so there's no audio-only version of that. It, it's only video. You can see those on our locals group. You can see them on YouTube. You can see them on Rumble. Alrighty, let's get started. I got a question for you to get the, the show off. Do you know Bob Saget? Bob Saget was a comedian and a TV star here in the United States, and uh, he got he died here recently. Uh, some of you might remember him. He played the dad on a show called Full House. What some of you might not know is that he was a stand-up comic. Also, he for he hosted for many years. Um, America's Funniest Home Videos. And so, you know, I grew up seeing Bob Saget on the TV, and I'm sure lots of yuns did too. But here's my question about Bob Saget. Was he funny? <laughs> Was Bob Saget funny? Well, a lot of yuns might be saying, yes, he was funny. And a lot of yuns might be saying, no, he wasn't funny. I personally did not think the man was funny. I, his jokes were just so <laughs> sad to me, so lame. Um, and his personality really did not uh, call my attention too much in good ways. But, you know, it's an interesting question. And you're probably wondering, why am I asking you whether Bob Saget was funny or not? Well, I'll tell you why. Because uh, on the internet, on some social media platform on the internet, I saw some folks getting into this big argument about whether Bob Saget was funny or not. And uh, the one person was saying, you're out of your mind. He was very funny. You got to see some of his other stuff that he did that you clearly have not seen. And then the other guy saying, no, I saw that. He's not funny. And the other guy saying, you're out of your mind. He's, he is funny. And the other guy saying, no, he's not. He's not funny. Back and forth, back and forth like that. Well, let me ask you this. In order for you to answer the question whether Bob Saget was funny or not, what is needed? What is needed is uh, somebody's opinion, right? I mean, you need an observer. You need somebody who thinks he's funny. And th so this kind of goes along with uh, what we were talking about last week. About how when it comes to matters of opinion, there is no right or wrong. 
So in this argument between the two groups arguing whether Bob Saget was funny or not, who was right and who was wrong? They were all right. Didn't matter if you think he's funny or not. If you think he wasn't funny, you're right. If you thought he was funny, you're right. Um, if you thought that he was funny, you're also wrong. And if you didn't think he wasn't, wasn't funny, uh, then you're also wrong. I don't know if I'm making much sense here right now. My point is, there is no such thing, when it comes to matters of opinion, there is no innate truth. Because it completely depends on your opinion. On your opinion, on somebody else's opinion. So, it's like asking, how tall is a tree? How tall is a tree? I think I remember telling you that my boss, um, when I worked at the Monument Company, um, working on tombstones and working out in a cemetery and stuff like that, uh, when somebody would come in and say, hey, how much does a, a tombstone cost? Well, his answer was, how, how tall is a tree? <laughs> you know, there are a lot of uh, questions that need to be answered about specifics and stuff like that before you can answer such a, a broad question. So this question that I'm asking you, was Bob Saget funny? That's a very broad um, question. Depends on opinion. It's completely subjective. So there is no correct answer to that question, whether Bob Saget was funny or not. What would be the proper way to ask that question? The only proper way to ask that question, since there can be no innate truth to the uh, in an answer to that question, the only proper way to ask that question is, do you think, do you think Bob Saget was funny? Not was he funny, but do you think he was funny? And now think back to this argument that I'm watching online, these people getting riled up, they're getting angry at each other, because the one person's saying, he absolutely was funny, he cannot understand what universe this other guy's living in that he didn't think Bob Saget was funny. That's how certain this man was, that Bob Saget was indeed funny. And the other guy, he's doing the same thing. From his perspective, Bob Saget's not funny at all. But he's viewing his opinions as innate truths, right? Do you see the problem with that? Viewing what is, comes down to just opinion, just preference, as an innate truth. I wanted to tell you this exper uh, experience here so that you can kind of practice going about in life and perceiving or uh, pointing out to yourself when people are doing this, when they're taking something that is completely subjective and viewing it as as an innate truth, as a non-subjective reality. I think you'll come across lots of opportunities to see how, how and when people are doing that. So, there is no such thing, there's no way to answer that question. Was Bob Saget funny? It's like asking how tall is a tree. It depends on the tree, doesn't it? It doesn't only depend on that. It depends on how that tree compares to other trees, right? 
I've got a tree in my yard right now. It's a silver maple. I planted it back in the spring. Boy, it's grown real tall. But is it a tall tree? Well, if you you stand it next to any of the other trees around here, no, it's not a tall tree. But for the time that it has had to grow, and um, you know its relationship to some of the other some of the other trees in my yard, yeah, it's a tall tree. But it's a completely subjective question, open-ended question. A um, person can avoid a lot of frustration and a lot of silly, pointless angst simply by learning to distinguish between opinions, which are completely subjective, and other realities. Right? I'll never forget uh, playing guitar with my Uncle Beetle a couple years back. And uh, I said to him, are you any good at playing such and such? And he said, well, it's a matter of opinion. <laughs> and I, I kind of hung on to that because he's right. I, I, I reckon the question should have been, do you think you can play such and such pretty good? Then he would say, well, I, I think I play it all right. But I didn't ask the question that way. I asked it, are you good at this? And he answered that correctly, didn't he? It's completely a matter of opinion. So there's no such thing as was Bob Saget funny. The, there's only was Bob Saget funny to you. The result of people not understanding, not being able to distinguish between what is just subjective opinion and other realities is that they, you know, if you get on Twitter or um, even Facebook platforms like that, you will see people go round and round and round and round and round forever. Why do they do that? And why do their why do their emotions get worked up? Why do they get angry over something that is just an opinion? Well, if you think about it, there's only one real reason why a person would get really worked up over something that is just merely an opinion. Why would that be? Because they don't view it as an opinion. You see, they're inappropriately viewing something that is completely subjective as something that is, explains a fixed reality. Isn't that interesting? And a lot of people do that with their opinions. If my opinion is this, the reason I get upset when your opinion's different is because I'm, I'm inappropriate, inappropriately not viewing these things as, as what they are, opinions. Uh, talking about my friend Jeff and about how our opinions are so different in so many ways. But it's such good practice for me, and I've been getting so good at recognizing almost immediately, all right, we're talking about something here that is just pure opinion. Once you realize that, there is really no reason or temptation to get real bent out of shape or worked up or angry over somebody having a different opinion than you. Yeah. Something to think about. When you catch people arguing that you're wrong or right, depending on how it, what is just your preference, <laughs> you, you'll know. You'll know that they are viewing what is subjective, completely subjective, and just matter of opinion as a, uh, a fixed, indisputable truth or reality. And uh, very few things uh, in life are fixed truths 
and uh, very few things are black and white like that. Uh, as we've talked in the past, you know, murder, we all agree is wrong, but if somebody, if it saves my daughter's life and the person is up to no good and um, that sort of thing, um, then really the context changes everything, don't it? Uh, animal cruelty is bad, but if uh, I'm trying to rescue my daughter out of the jaws of a, of a crocodile and I'm sticking it in the eye with a stick to try to free her, not too many people would consider that animal cruelty, but it is. It's animal cruelty. It's just that the context makes it okay, doesn't it? So a lot of subjective things, even for things that people would say, no, that's black or white truth. You know, even in the, the Bible, um, God's norms, I mean, what he says is right, what's wrong, um, he, did, he never applied just a flat one punishment fits all in every case uh, he context always figured into it now there was always some kind of discipline or punishment but in some cases it meant that a person got the death penalty right God gave him the death penalty and then in other cases a person would do the exact same thing and God would discipline them in other ways um, he would allow them to suffer the consequences of their mistake uh, but he wouldn't put them to death or anything like that. And in many cases, the, the person remained in God's favor. Uh, why is that? It's because even for a black and white, this is wrong and that is right, context still figured in to a person doing what was wrong or a person having done what was right or, and these sorts of things, such things like motives, um, how uh, remorseful a person was afterward. Um, other extenuating factors like were they insane uh, were they sleep deprived were they emotionally having emotional issues because of some kind of tragedy or something you know all these things factored in so even in for people who are very uh, fixed in their conclusions about what, what is right and wrong while the thing itself you know being designated as right or wrong might be true. There might be a that might be a black and white truth. Um, the discipline or the punishment or the the things factoring into how a person should be viewed who did those things uh, completely different, right? It depends on a whole array of different factors, and uh, not one punishment or consequence fits all every circumstance where a person committed that wrong let's talk about shame a little bit I promised you we would we here at the last symptom we've done a lot of talking about how shame is uh, the only emotion that human beings experience that is not constructive in any way and so that it should always be rejected. Now, I wanted to have this conversation with you because you might get falsely or incorrectly get the idea that I'm saying that shame, there's nothing um, shameful, like shameful itself, that concept uh, has no place in the world. Um, and that's not true. Shame does have a place in the world. 
it just doesn't have a place applied to people. So let's talk about that a little bit. Are there things in life that are shameful? Well, I've answered that question. Yes, there are things in life that are shameful. What does it mean when we say that something is shameful? Well, it just it simply means that something is without value. So when you think about shame, the message in shame, remember that. That's the simplest explanation you're going to get. Now, you can build on that explanation, but that is the definition of shame. Shameful, I should say. It, it means something is without value. So you think about why that causes us so much trouble when we apply, when we apply it to ourselves as people, right? When we feel shameful ourselves, what are we feeling? We're feeling, now there's a lot of ways to say it, but basically it's, I'm without value. So, I'm a piece of crap, or, you know, my, my substitute for the S word these days is, I'm a piece of horse papui, uh, I, I'm devoid of worth, I, I'm broken, I'm a mistake, uh, you know, all these are just ways of saying that I, I'm devoid of value, I, I'm, I have no worth. That's what a shameful thing is, it's, it's something that is devoid of any value. So when we apply that to ourselves as people, uh, it's inappropriate and it's only destructive because there's no such thing as a person being shameful. In other words, there is no such thing as a person being devoid of value. Let's go back to uh, Uvalde, Texas. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The shooting there and just the, the terrible, terrible things that went on there in Uvalde. The acts committed by the shooter in Uvalde, Texas, in that grade school, were without a doubt shameful. They were shameful acts. What does that mean? It means that the acts of that, of that boy were completely devoid of any value whatsoever. How about the failure of the police to do their jobs and save those children's lives? How about that? Absolutely shameful. How about the, the incomprehensible actions by those police officers to begin arresting parents, parents who wanted to rush into the school and save their own children and the police would not let them go in? absolutely shameful. All these things completely devoid of value. Did you hear about that mom? They actually uh, handcuffed her. She wanted to race into the school and save her children while the cops standing around twiddling their thumbs and uh, singing Yankee Doodle Dandy. She wants to go in. They won't let her. They stop her. They arrest her. They don't arrest her. They handcuff her. If I'm not mistaken, they handcuffed her to a fence or something. And uh, she managed to, she knew one of the uh, one of the deputies or something. And she played calm and I'll be, I'll be alright. And uh, come over here, you know, please let me out of these cuffs. And I think he took, kind of took pity on her and let her out of the cuffs. 
Well, first thing she did was spring over that fence, raced into the school while, where the shooter was still in there, and um, hunted down her child, her children, and some other children. She she rescued, ended up rescuing children out of the school, despite despite the police, despite those those police officers. Uh, she was able to get into the school and rescue her, her kids and some other kids from what I understand. The fact that the police officers would put the parents in cuffs and treat them like criminals while standing around and not saving those people's children. I mean, if that's not shameful, if that is not something that is completely devoid of value, um, then I don't know what is. So, yes, there are many, many times in life where we look upon a thing that is completely shameful. That is, it is devoid of value. But one thing we tragically fail to do when we're unhealthy is that we fail to make a clear distinction between people and their actions. Right? We equate the two things as being the same when they're not. And if you think about it, we do this with a lot of things, right? When you're unhealthy, you equate, you make no distinction between your thoughts and feelings, do you? Until you started uh, watching the Last Symptom podcast or listening to the Last Symptom podcast. Maybe you had never in your life made a distinction between your thoughts, the things you think, and the things you feel. Well, that creates problems in life, don't it? it creates problems in life when we don't distinguish the nature of some things from the nature of other things um, because we equate all these things inappropriately as being the same when they're not uh, I was just talking to uh, got some comments on one of these shows here recently by a, a therapist or psychologist who I, I gave the person the benefit of the doubt and got into a, a kind of a miniature conversation with them the person was respectful. I guess that person's argument was that uh, she does not teach her clients that feelings should be controlled, that they can be controlled, and that they're right and wrong and, and those sorts of things, or that they act in different intensities for some people than other people. I said, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great that you do that. But then she went on to talk about thoughts in uh, apply the apply put thoughts in the same category that she would put in feelings so in other words we have no control over our feelings and so she says that thoughts are the same way and that she teaches her clients that you don't have to um, worry about controlling what you think and those sorts of things and and that was when I, I laid down the law I said nope nope you're wrong you are absolutely wrong I appreciate what you've said about feelings but if you're teaching your clients that they're not responsible for their thoughts or what they allow themselves to continue thinking, um, then you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. You see, that is permissiveness. It's uh, immaturity, a failure to, to accept responsibility for something that you're doing. Yeah. Now, she would argue, I'm sure, and a lot of you would argue, that no, we don't have control over our thoughts because if I see something, it, it all constantly... I've got thoughts popping into my head that I did not choose to start thinking about. And 
you know, we've had this conversation many times. I understand that. But what did I say that you have full control over? What you continue to think about. So anybody who would argue that we don't have full control over our thoughts, they're disingenuous. They're disingenuous. Because just because I see a picture of something that automatically, or you know, let's say that you tell me, Brian, don't think of pickles. Well, immediately I think of pickles, don't I? Whether I want to or not. But the fact that I get to choose whether I continue thinking about pickles or not means that for all intents and purposes, I do have full control over my thoughts. And I am responsible for what I allow myself to dwell on or to think about or to continue thinking about or to continue meditating on or entertaining. So do you see how important it is to distinguish, to make these distinguishes between things? to dis- make these uh, distinguishing recognitions, I guess, uh, between different things. There was a, a member in our group, somebody I, I'm uh, tremendously fond of, uh, over there at thelastsymptom.locals.com. By the way, another way to join our group there is to download the locals.com app and then from the app store and then just search for The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett. Anywho... One, you know, one of our members there went through a really terrible experience with an ex-husband. And the other day, during a, a live chat that we were holding there on the group, she was talking, we were all talking, and uh, I'm sure she'll watch this, you know, so I, I hope she don't mind me using this example in line with what we're talking about today. But she's dealing with this situation where her son is getting older and older and you know of course he just loves his dad to pieces and spends time with his dad and everything it's a struggle for her when he comes home and you know he he wants to see some sense of civility between the two of them and everything And, and it's kind of painful for him to see in her only disgust for his dad now, she's not wrong for what she feels. <clears throat> and, of course, none of us know the specifics. Not even I know the specifics of everything that was involved with that, that breakup. But my advice to her was that she needs to find, she needs to sit down and think of some good qualities that her ex-husband possesses. Because, I'll tell you why, when she sits down and has the conversations with her son, she wants to be able to build a bridge with him and have some commonality there with some affection for their for his father. She has to be able to say, honestly, honey, your dad has a lot of good qualities, but, uh, not but, and, your dad has a lot of good qualities, and he's got some qualities, a lot of qualities that are not so good and they're not good for me, and, um, and I can't expose myself to... I can't expose myself to them. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to be affected by them, and I don't want to support those negative things in any way. So you see how that how healthy that is, that she can say, yes, even though we're not together, even though he broke my heart, and even though there are certain things that I absolutely just cannot support. Son, there are a lot of good qualities that your dad possesses. She's got to be able to say that. 
Well, that was a really nice conversation because after that, she says, there are none. There are no good qualities. I cannot think of any good qualities that he possesses. And the rest of the group jumped in. There's got to be something. There is something. You see, the problem is not that this man is completely devoid of value. That's, that's not true for any person, no matter how evil they might be. There's no such thing as a person just devoid of value in and of themselves. The things they do, yes, they might do lots of shameful things, but they themselves as a human being possess positive qualities. Everybody does. I, I hate to bring up Hitler because you know the internet loves to do that, but even there's a man with all of his wickedness and evil. Um, I can give you a good quality of Hitler. <laughs> I hope this doesn't come back to bite me. Uh, I don't want people running around, oh, Brian likes Hitler. No, I'd not, that's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that human beings, no human being, is inherently devoid of value. Uh, one good quality of Hitler is that he was a, he was a fairly good artist, right? Who can deny that he was a kind of a brilliant strategist, 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 uh, when it came to war? Who can deny that that he was a charming person as a public speaker, right? I mean, he he would not have been able to do all the evil that he did were these things not true. Anybody who's a public speaker, myself included, is I'm always studying ways to. Uh, improve uh, my presentation so that I don't lose people's attention and that sort of thing, right? So being a good public speaker, that's a positive thing. So the fact that she's having problems coming up with good things, to uh, good qualities that she can recognize in her ex-husband, that's a fault of hers. It's not a... We're not talking about the only case in the history of mankind that she just happened to marry the one guy who truly has no good qualities, no good things about him at all. He might be a hard worker. That's a good quality. Even if, think about this, even if the work he's doing is illegal. Let's say that he's a, a drug kingpin, but he works real hard at it. You see, the thing that he's doing might be terrible, but who can deny that being a hard worker is a good thing? That's a good quality. If he would just apply something like, let's say, I'm, you know, I don't know if he's a drug kingpin, but let's say that if even if he is, uh, if he could take that quality of being a hard worker and apply it to something else, like building homes for the homeless, wouldn't that not be a good quality still? Yeah, it, it doesn't stop being a good quality just because it's used for a wrong, the wrong thing. So. Why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because we need to be able to make distinctions, right? The distinction between a person as, as what they are and their actions. You know, you've heard me talk about my father. I, I can't have a relationship with my father because he hasn't met the conditions necessary for us to be able to do that. But does he have some good qualities? He's got lots of great qualities. He sure does. And unfortunately, he has lots of uh, terrible qualities too. That really need he really needs to 
to pay attention to and work on. But the fact that he has these terrible qualities does not undo the good qualities that he possesses. You see, how am I able to do that? How am I able to look upon somebody who treated me so poorly and recognize that he does have good qualities? There are things about him that I, I do love. It's because I make a distinction. I make the distinctions. I make distinctions in life that unhealthy people don't make. Speaking about making distinctions, when I was a, a child, it was very confusing for me because uh, half the time I would be feeling tremendous hate toward my father and at the same time, simultaneously, be feeling tremendous love for my father. And as I thought about it, during my authentic recovery from my emotional disorder, you know what I realized? I never hated my father. I always hated some of the things he did. Isn't that an important distinction to make? Have you made that distinction for people who have wronged you? There are lifestyles in the world. I can't look upon those lifestyles or those uh, the actions of some people and admire that or support that. But does me hating something somebody does necessarily mean that I have to hate them too? Not when, you, not when you're healthy and you're able to make distinction between who and what people are and the things they do. Isn't that nice? You can still love a person tremendously and still recognize some of the things they do as being wrong or being unhealthy or being things that you can't support. And, um, and even hate certain things, right? A lot of people will tell you that hate has no place in the world. Well, they're wrong. They're wrong. The people who say that, they equate hating a thing as the same as hating the person doing that thing. It doesn't have to be that way. For some people it is that way. But, it's, uh, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. That distinction needs to be made. So with my own father, I loved the man to death. Uh, and when I was growing up and I was feeling all that hate, yes, I was, I was hating. I wasn't hating him. I loved him. I, I didn't understand why he wouldn't, how he could do some of those things, what, how he could treat me in those ways. You know, I hated being treated that way. I hated some of the, many of the things he did. But as far as the man himself, I, I always recognize that my father has tremendously great qualities. Things that uh, I feel fortunate to have been exposed to because they, they, were, they were good things to learn from. So I love a lot of my dad's qualities, love my dad, but hated and, and still hate many of the things that he did. And not only the things he did, but the things he has failed to do. I hate many of the things my father has failed to do. So, distinctions. Really important to make. Now, back to shame. When we're unhealthy, we tragically fail to make a distinction between uh, people and the things people do. We grow up perceiving ourselves as shameful, that is, devoid of worth, or pieces of horse papui. 
just devoid of worth. Not making the distinction that the things we do, some of the things we do, can truly be devoid of worth, but we can't be. As far as who and what we are, we can't be. Why is it important to be able to make the distinction between the things you're doing and what and who you are? Because you can't fix who and what you are. So if you're if you're devoid of value, there's just no fixing that. But if you recognize that some of the, something that you're doing is shameful, that is devoid of value, well you can just say, "Well, I'll just stop doing that thing." Or I'll do this other thing instead, moving forward. You see, that that's easy to fix. It's very easy to fix. But when people don't make that distinction, you remember the, sh- the wheel of shame? Or the, uh, the merry-go-round of shame? Once that thing gets going, it's hard, very hard to stop. You see, you view yourself as devoid of value. What is the only thing that that can result in? Behaviors that you view as shameful. And because you don't make a distinction between the things you're doing and who and what you are, what do you do? You use that as fuel to support the idea, even more entrenched, that you indeed are shameful. You see what I'm saying? So I feel worthless. I'm devoid of value. I'm, I'm just wallowing in shame. That effect, The effect that that will have on me is that eventually I will do something shameful because I say, well, I'm devoid of value. I'm already devoid of value. So why not act like it? So I do something that's uh, shameful, truly. And then afterwards, I, I feel even worse about myself. Remember, shame also is just it's feeling bad about yourself. So I've done this shameful thing. Now I feel even worse about myself. And now I'm back to square one. I'm shameful. What am I going to do because I feel shameful? Eventually, I'm going to do something shameful. And around and around and around we go. So it is tragic that people don't make that distinction. When somebody does a shameful thing, be it us or be it somebody else, and we're unhealthy, we look upon the person. Sorry, I kicked my kicked my thing there. We look upon the person himself or herself, <clears throat> and we say they're shameful. So because they did this shameful thing, they're shameful. And that's not healthy. It's not accurate. What they did is indeed shameful. But a person cannot be shameful. Devoid of value. You know, what people inherently are and the things they might do or fail to do are not one and the same thing. These two things, what you are, you know, a human being, and what you do, an action of yours, are not one and the same thing. And I don't hear an awful lot of people stressing the importance of making that distinction. But I hope that you're starting to see why it's so important to make that distinction. And, you know, let's go back to what I just said, because I really kind of want that to click. I want you to be able to remember moments when you've done that yourself. I've done this shameful thing, so I'm shameful. Uh, that guy did this shameful thing. He himself then is shameful. He's without value. You've done that many times, haven't you? I did that many times when I was unhealthy. Failed to make the distinction. Isn't that interesting? Boy, we can talk a lot about that. 
You know, for example, the failure of people to make the distinction between things that describe inherent truth, an inherent reality, and just kind of some superficial temporary state. Like my, my father worked for many years as a telephone man. Was he a telephone man? He worked as a telephone man, but that is not what he inherently is. He's retired now. Does lots of other things. Even in all the years that he was working as a telephone man, he was doing lots of other things, had lots of other skills. He was working as a telephone man. He wasn't a telephone man. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> Being a telephone man was not some inherent reality about what he is. It was just a job he had for a while. So an action can be shameful. A person cannot be shameful. What does shameful mean again? <laughs> it means a thing is just devoid of value. An action can be completely devoid of value. A person cannot be completely devoid of value. The shooter in Uvalde, Texas, as a human being, was not without value. Ironically, the reason why he probably decided to carry out such a shameful act at all is why. Why? We just mentioned it. Because he'd been raised to believe and view himself as shameful. Isn't that interesting? The reason he probably carried out this terribly shameful act at all is because he had been raised to view himself as shameful. What a tragedy. But he himself was not shameful. If he had known that, he, if he had known, if he had grown up making a distinction between the things he does as, being, as, as possibly being shameful, as being completely distinct and separate from him as a person, do you see how he, every mistake that he made, every terrible mistake or shameful thing that he did, Knowing that, he could have said, all right, but I still have value, and I can just do things differently moving forward. You see how healthy that is, how nourishing that is, right, in a healthy way, how nourishing that perspective is. Yes, the thing I did is, sh is shameful, but I have value. And uh, because I have value, I want to live up to that value by not continuing to do this shameful thing. So I recognize that what I did was shameful. I won't do that anymore. You see? You see how nourishing and healthful and health healthful healthful and healthy that type of thinking is. Those perspectives. That, that accurate, healthy way of viewing things. And then how unhealthy is it when you go, Well, I did this shameful thing, that's proof that I'm shameful. I'm without value. Wallow in that. And because there's no fix in what you are and who you are, eventually you're going to do more shameful things. It, you know, it, it's the perspectives that ultimately lead to the most horrendous tragedies. The police officers who completely failed in their duties in Uvalde, and one in particular who refuses to resign his post. It's incomprehensible to me. 
he knows the entire world is looking at him with disgust and his failures recognizing his failures as just utterly shameful and the man with all the pain in that community that they're dealing with which would be like a, a healing salve for him to, to just resign and, and just to go away he won't do it he won't do it I think that's uh, that's pretty darn shameful that's pretty darn shameful of him now you see how tempting it would be to say because of what he's not doing because of his apparent uh, greater interest in himself and his position than the the health of those community members those families that lost their children instead of having a desire to to be a healing force to make decisions that can heal help heal that community and and soothe the pain of that community he's looking out for himself you see how tempting it would be to say because he's doing those things or not doing certain things he himself is shameful well that'd be a mistake would it it'd be a mistake it'd be a failure to make a distinction between what can be shameful what cannot be shameful a person can't be shameful he could redeem himself you know um, and I'm sure he's like everybody he's got lots of good qualities you know he he's just not using them <laughs> he's just not making very good decisions so the the officers even all the officers there that day who failed in their duties are not without all value as human beings but their behaviors that day absolutely their behaviors their failure their failures absolutely shameful making these distinctions are absolutely imperative in order to view the world correctly and understand the nature of things correctly and accurately if like me you grew up in, grew up in an unhealthy family our, our families did not help us do this when we were growing up <clears throat> why didn't they help us make these distinctions because they weren't aware of them themselves they, did, they themselves didn't live with an understanding of these distinctions just think how differently you would have grown up viewing yourself if you had been taught appropriately that the things you do are not the same as who you are the nature of the two things are completely different uh, the rules and the the things that apply to your actions and behaviors are not the same rules and factors that apply to your nature as a human being you know actions are one thing what you are who you are as a human being is another so think about how differently you you could have grown up viewing yourself correctly appropriately that the things you do are not the same as who and what you are the value of the things you do or don't do are not the same as your value as a person as a human being you can change the things you do you can never change who and what you are what a relief it would have been to make mistakes or do bad things from time to time as a child with this healthy with these healthy perspectives and understanding because with the right healthy views you would have simply said to yourself it's okay I can learn from this I can do things differently moving forward 
that mistake doesn't represent what I am inherently, what and who I am. So it is proper to tell our children, honey, what you did is shameful. That is proper. It is not proper to tell our children you should be ashamed of yourself. Why not? Because when you tell a child, or you tell anybody, you should be ashamed of yourself. What you're saying is that you should view yourself as being devoid of value. So think about that long and hard. Anytime you tell somebody you should be ashamed of yourself, you're saying you should be viewing yourself as devoid of value. What does that incur? What does incur? What does uh, viewing yourself as devoid of value animate you or encourage you to do? Nothing. Nothing. It only promotes shameful behaviors. You see, because you say I'm, I'm devoid of value. No matter what I do, I'm still stuck with this reality. I I can feed the poor. I can do all these wonderfully. Um, generous things but in the end I'm just a worthless person doing generous things viewing yourself as worthless or as shameful does not lead to anything good or positive it only leads to things to negative things <clears throat> such as the shooting in Uvalde what I did is shameful properly identifies the thing that I've done as being without value you should be ashamed of yourself that statement accuses me myself or you yourself as being the thing without value so thank you for joining me on this discussion about shame I hope it gives you some things to think about what I'd like to talk about next week and I don't know if it'll be the only thing we talk about but I wanted to talk a little bit more about the two systems of value and worth do you remember what they were well we'll go into them a lot more in a lot more detail but the two the only two that exist are the commercial type of value the commercial value system and then there's the inherent value system we'll talk about more things that fall under the inherent value system that maybe you hadn't considered ladies and gentlemen uh, I hope you have a wonderful weekend please do something nice for yourselves it doesn't have to be elaborate it can be very simple but take some time out to do it join us over there at thelifesymptom.locals.com we'd love to see you there and um, got some interesting things coming up here in the next couple weeks which I will not announce here on the show. You'll only be privy to it if uh, you're part of our group and can see certain announcements that I make on the on the group. All right. So you all take care, and uh, I'll talk to you real soon. Dear Theodosia, what to say to you? You got my eyes, you've got your mother's name When you came into the world you cried And it broke my heart 
I'm dedicating every day to you Domestic life was never quite my style When you smile You knock me out, I fall apart And I thought I was so smart You will come of age with our young nation We'll plead and fight for you We'll make it right for you If we lay a strong enough foundation We'll give it all to you We'll make it right for you And you'll blow us all away Someday Someday Yeah, you'll blow us all away